everyone. Welcome to Grace Church of Orange. If you are new, we want to extend a special welcome to you and let you know that there is a gift out on the plaza at the Welcome Center waiting for you. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more, even as you get to know us a little bit more. And here at Grace Church, whether you've been here for a really long time or whether you're new, we want to let you guys know that we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. And so that is our mission here. And if you would please join me standing for the call to worship as we read in Psalm 71. Psalm 71, verses 1 through 3 says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord who made heaven and earth, Lord who knit us together, Lord who came up with the entire concept of church, Lord, as your children come together in this local assembly, May, may you be glorified. Hear what your children have to sing to one another as well as to you, and may you be blessed by what you see. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing together this morning. Forever 
we're going to sing a song right now called Sing We the Song of Emmanuel. It's, it's a new song that we introduced last week, and I uh, just encourage you to sing along as you catch the melody with us.
please remain standing as we go to God's Word. We will be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. God's Word says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Today in our prayers, we want to be thinking of Misael and Yolanda as they are serving down in Tecate at the orphanage there. Um, we also want to let you guys know and thank you for your generous giving here at Grace. We know that our entire paychecks and our entire lives, our entire jobs belong to God, but giving to the ministry here uh, is very appreciated. Uh, appreciated. Go with me uh, now to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so supremely great, so supremely awesome. Our words fail us. And yet you, Lord, have given us the honor, the privilege, really, Lord, to come to you, sing praises, read your word, understand who you are, and most importantly, have a relationship with you. And Lord, you are greatly to be praised. We know, Lord, that we are guilty. We stand before a holy, perfect God, not worthy enough to look up, and yet, not as an enemy do you draw us, not as those who are bound in chains, but, Lord, you call us to be sons of the Most High. And, Lord, we ask that you would break our hearts to conform to the image of your Son. Lord, that you would cause us to glorify you deeply, truly, even as in sin and error we pine for the coming of the Lord. Lord, let us rejoice and not be crushed under our own sin, but relieve us of that burden. We pray for Misael and Yolanda. Lord, bless the ministry of Tecate and that orphanage there. May many souls come to know you because you used your servants well. We love you, Lord, and we want to give glory to your name. Amen. Keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified what the angel said to them. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. 
find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Praising God and saying, for the joy and the wonder of the season, just a time we can remember your birth and, and just the wondrous joy that that brings to us. And um, we thank you that you're also a savior who understands our pain. You understand what it's like to be tempted and to experience what we experience here on earth. And Lord, we also just um, thank you so much for your word, your perfect word. And um, just pray that you would open our minds and our hearts as we hear your word pro proclaimed now. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. So with the clock racing towards 1225, we're slowing down uh, to dwell on what it means to live by faith in Christ. And we're considering Mary and Joseph and the God-given virtues uh, we're called to live. So basically what we're doing is Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, illustrated by uh, the birth narratives of Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility, with all gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another in love. The idea is that when Jesus is your unquestioned Lord, you willingly walk worthily of God's saving call. You do so humbly and gently and patiently. And so we'll look today at Joseph and Mary's patience. But if we're honest, humble, gentle, and patient is not exactly how most people would describe many of us. Uh, most people are not described as humble, gentle, and patient today. Just the other day, I was at a store. I asked the person helping me, so, this season we're going through, uh, are people more kind and patient uh, than usual? And they just looked at me and they're like, uh, much worse. Uh, and they said, when I get home, my family always asks me, how did your day go? And I said, oh, it was great. Oh, yeah, it was great. Cue the eye rolls, right? 
Um, it's like the hurry up and wait kind of idea. If you've been in the military, you know that um, many people will say all they did in the military was hurry up and wait. You rush to finish a task or be at a certain place at a certain time and then forced to wait because others are not ready or going to make you wait. Uh, traveling often involves this kind of hurry up and wait, uh, rush to the airport and find that your you know, plane has been uh, delayed or what have you. And this happened to me this earlier this year. All, all boarded up, all buckled in, and the flight's canceled. And in a moment like that, a lot of times we find ourselves praying, Lord, help me be patient. But often we add, and do it right now. Give me the patience right now. And what we'll, we'll finally admit is patience is not our you know, best virtue. It's not our most prominent trait in life. And so um, we'll back away from the patience for a moment and do a little review. Uh, we looked at Mary's humility. And we looked at, at the fact that she considered herself unworthy of God's grace. And she accepted suffering as a blessing, not an ill-timed punishment. And she allowed her reputation to really um, be destroyed, to be nothing, and have Christ's reputation, everything. And she believed the promises in the word of God. We moved on last week to Joseph and looked at his gentleness, and he considered his options. He was this godly man considering his options and then let himself be overridden by the word of God. He knew that God knew better, and he accepted uh, the providential predicament that he and Mary were in, and he, he then obediently just took calculated action for God's glory and others' good. Well, today, I'm going to focus on Joseph and Mary's patience. So if we start in Ephesians 4.1, Paul is saying, I urge you, very strongly, personal, urgent appeal, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Live your observable life in a way that matches up with your profession of faith in Christ so that it is equal to, appropriate to, it fits with, it literally goes with, your life goes with you saying you're a Christian. So the calling to which you've been called, it's this you know, irrevocable uh, summons by God to the elect. And, and then verse 2 says, here's what it looks like. And it, goes, it starts with all humility, this low thinking, not thinking too highly of yourself. And then it moves on to gentleness, this attitude, this patient submissiveness. You're not easily offended. You're free from malice. You, you don't try to get revenge. And then we come to patience. Bearing with one another in love. The fruit of the Spirit is patience, long-suffering. Um, Christians are not to traffic in bitterness. They're not to traffic in vengeance. But cultivated uh, in your life must be patience because often we are cultivating bitterness and vengeance. Now, patience comes from two words. It's the word for anger or rage or wrath put together with the word for a long time. What it means is if you're a patient person, it takes a long time for you to get angry. Do you have a short fuse or a long fuse? Do you have a hair trigger danger around you where everyone's afraid of how you're going to respond? You run hot. You're not patient. If you're not patient and you're saying you're a Christian, I think it is valid to ask, am I really a believer? If it takes a long time for you to get angry, maybe you're patient. That's how you know if you're patient or not. God is repeatedly shown to be patient. He is um, patient, kind, long-suffering. 
slow to anger. He revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, and he said, here's how he, here's how he declared himself. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is what God is like. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we see it. And you fast forward all the way to Romans 2.4, and God displays patience with us. He grants us repentance. He, he's not willing for any to perish. He, he, the defining nature of his love and the aspect of his love is patient. And he empowers us to exhibit this patience. We can't be patient, truly patient, without God. And it's something that we see in Joseph and Mary. And it's something that as they navigated, here is this young couple navigating the birth of Jesus Christ, but then raising him, literally raising the Messiah, literally bringing him up through his early years and teen years until he goes off with his friends in his early 30s. And I want to point out, notably, three spirit-generated responses from Mary and Joseph. I'll give them to you now. They are... This First, they waited for God to act. And we're showing this patience. They weathered painful providence. Secondly, and then thirdly, they, they were patient with people. And that's really where the rubber is going to meet the road in, in, in life for you and I, but we'll get to that. The first is that they waited patiently for God to act. And I want you to go in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Then we'll make our way, we're going to read something in Luke 1, and then we'll make our way to Luke 2. But I want you to see something in Mary's response first, and then just a very well-known aspect of, of what happened when Jesus was born. So in Luke chapter 1, we'll pick it up at verse 46. And this is Mary rejoicing, glory to God in the highest, and all of that. Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. They had been waiting for generation after generation for God to show his mercy, to remember his mercy in the midst of his wrath and bring the deliverer that was promised in Genesis 3.15. She says in verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, and he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring, to his seed forever. She is remembering the, prophecy, the prophecies and the promises of God. She's remembering and, and, and the, the promise that was made to her about the birth of Christ is the culmination of all of those hopes over many generations. They have been waiting since Genesis 3.15, that first gospel promise. And what happened after that promise? Satan, after that promise, was engaged in relentless and futile efforts to destroy uh, the ancestral line of the Messiah and to even after he was born to kill the, the Christ child himself. Centuries they were waiting the generations were looking and looking and looking and trying to be patient and trying to identify the Messiah. And then we come to Luke 2. 
in verse 1. Very well-known words. You, you may have never been to a church before, but you might, you might know these words. You might have heard these at a Christmas program. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would, should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. It means house of bread. The bread of life was born in the house of bread because he was of the house and lineage of David. He was in the line of the Messiah. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Even think of the, the danger and the, the, even the patience it would have taken to travel at such a, a, a late time in the pregnancy. It says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She had other sons and daughters after that. And wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I'm not picturing Joseph, you know, demanding a better spot. I'm not picturing Mary, you know, telling Joseph, I will not stay in that manger, you know, in that, in that, uh, in, in the, um, uh, in the stable, uh, in, the, in the place. Most likely it was, it was a place called a Cataluma, which is a, a little carved out area under a rock probably where they would have put the animals and all of that. And um, a lot of times in our scenes we, we build it up. Um, it, was, it would have been a place that was um, protected and warm and all of that, but not, not your, your average place to stay. And here's God. He had promised a Savior, and he had sent a Savior. And they were going to now raise this child with all the misunderstandings that were going to come their way. And, and, and the, the, the fact of the matter was, and people weren't believing it, but the fact of the matter was the fullness of the time had come. People had waited. Mary and Joseph knew. The, the, the time came, the set time came, and God sent forth his son, as Galatians 4 says, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption to sonship. And Joseph and Mary waited for God to act, not just in in. Christ being born, but to show that this son was the promised Savior, that he was, that, that they would see him as he was growing up. Uh, some of you say that you have the perfect kids, or you think you're the perfect kid, or you have the perfect grandkids, or whatever. Jesus was the perfect child, sinless Savior of the world, born into the world, the incarnation, and here, here is Joseph and Mary waiting for God to act. This was going to be a messy end. He would die. The trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came for a purpose. Uh, they knew this was the suffering servant. And so they waited for God to show that the son to be the promised savior. And you think about what you're waiting for today. I don't know what you're waiting for. Some of you are like, I'm waiting for a gift to come in the mail because I just ordered it and might not get here before Christmas. Some of you are really worried about that. Others of you will be like, oh yeah, it's still on the way because you just ordered it 10 minutes before they got there. You might be waiting for all sorts of things today. You might be waiting for something really, really significant. Maybe a baby, maybe you're a grandbaby, maybe a job promotion, maybe a house, whatever it is. But maybe you're waiting for something a bit, a bit deeper, a bit, a bit more significant. Maybe you're waiting for... Um, 
someone to be saved. That you, you, you're praying that God would, would open the heart of someone uh, to the gospel message. And you know you can't, you can't make them believe, and so you're hoping and praying that, that God would, would open their heart to the gospel. Christ crucified, risen, coming again. Died for their sins in their place. Shed his blood. This Christ child that was born, this, was the, this is, the, this is the, the baby that, that Mary and Joseph birthed and then brought up. But maybe you're waiting for Christ to return. Maybe you woke up this morning and you're like, Jesus, please return. Maybe it's because things aren't going well in life, or maybe it's because you're just enraptured with the glory of Christ. Maybe you're praying for Christ to return and you don't know when it's going to be because there's nowhere in the Bible that tells you when it's going to be. You know, it takes patience to live the Christian life. It takes patience to grow. I remember when I was a kid, I never thought I would get taller. Um, dunking a basketball only happened in my dreams. Um, still. No, actually, I can dunk now. I can actually dunk now. <laughs> we have that basket that goes way down, and I can just dunk all over that thing. Be careful around me in the backyard. Um, but God has ordained maturity to be slow. A slow process. It's not, you know, the Instapot. It's not instant. It's, and it's a good thing. Why would it be such a good thing that God would, would make maturity a slow process? Because it helps you get ready for all the changes that are coming your way. Because impatience is a mark of immaturity. If you're impatient and, and, and you've been a Christian for 50 years, you're not mature. You might go around telling people you're a mature Christian. They might think you are. But if you're impatient, you're not. If I'm impatient, I'm not. James says in James 1.4, let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. We have uh, a lot of struggle with patience. I remember as a kid, I did not enjoy shopping with my mom and my two sisters, especially at, and if you tell me that these still exist, you're going to trigger me, so please don't even tell me if they still exist. I hated to go to the fabric store. Don't even nod your head. Yeah, amen, right there. Phil, you know what I'm talking about. That's right. I hated to go to the fabric store or the clothing store. I could get in trouble running around racks better than any kid on the block. And every time we would go into a store like that, <laughs> little Mike's going to get in trouble. You put me around those racks and stuff, and you make me wait. It was too much to keep still. When you're driving with your kids, you go on a trip. First stoplight, what do they say? Are we there yet? You wait in the fast food line. You're like, this is more than I can bear. <laughs> By the way, I'm the person that goes, oh, you have that little thing that says if we don't get the food to you in one minute, we, it's free? Oh, I'm timing you. <laughs> I'm looking. You, you made the promise. I'm going to help you. Help you keep your promises. When you're waiting, the clock goes slow. When you don't want something to end, the clock goes very fast. You're waiting for your birthday all year long, and, and then the party comes, and it doesn't last long enough. You're waiting for vacation all year long, and then vacation is, boom, over. You wait for Christmas all year long, and the day just flies by or you know, gets ruined by a weird, weird relative. But some of you think the Christian life is this way. That somehow God is going to work everything out in your favor with regard to time and waiting. So that, that patience is just like a little alley-oop for you. Just slam that home. Well, the fact is, as a believer, you might wait longer than the average person. God's timing, while perfect, is not designed and scheduled uh, to please your fleshly desires. 
And patience is not where you just, you know, slothfully wait with empty thoughts and you have no hope for future good. It's, it's waiting with a promise for something to transpire. But you're not forcing the issue. You're not trying to get it too quickly. Uh, you're walking by faith, not by sight. Though most of us, if we're honest, most of the time we walk by sight, not by faith. Jacob in Genesis 42, all these things were happening in his life. And what he said was, all these things are against me. What he didn't realize is, Everything was being used by God for him. But we always want the shortcut, don't we? And a shortcut will never help you. I mean, think Abraham trying to get the son of promise his own way. Ishmael, not a good idea, right? I remember in high school, in cross, running cross country, um, I, I was a fast runner. I, I won a lot of races. But my problem was I took shortcuts in practice way too often, and it hindered my speed. It hindered my races. Think about you, your current problem, your worst current problem. Don't say it out loud, please. Just keep it to yourself, all right? Share with someone later. Your worst current problem. Most likely, if you're a believer, you're asking God to work it out. But you're asking God to work it out as soon as possible because you want problem-free. It's a human goal. And and here's the, the truth. God may want that problem in your life right now to do something in your life and in your heart and make you patient even and godly, more godly, and that's not going to come about without that problem in your life. And here is Joseph and Mary. They birthed the Messiah. They're bringing up the Messiah, and they're enduring suffering along the way to the cross. They would have anticipated the suffering from the suffering Messiah, but... They're forced to wait on God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient. But the wise, if you're wise, you realize God's timing is not my timing. I want things right away. I mean, all of our devices, you have devices on you right now, and they all have a clock on them. I mean, we have, does your fridge really need a clock? I get that maybe your stove needs a clock, so you don't burn everything. But seriously, do you really need a clock on everything? But here's the deal. If they're fast, they're out of sync. If they're slow, they're out of sync. If they keep accurate time, you know what time it is. But God keeps perfect time. And some of you are pushing and pushing and pushing. And God is saying, you know, do that all you want. It's not going to work. Psalm 32, God says, I will guide you. I will lead you and guide you in the way you are to go. We know that it's by his spirit, through his word of God. He's going to, by, by, through his word, he's going to guide us. But Psalm 32, verse 9, a very curious statement. Do not be like the horse or the mule. You know, if you were choosing which one, you'd be like, I want to be the horse. No one wants to be the mule, right? And he says, don't be like either one of them. Why? Well, because the mule is stubborn. And the mule will not go fast enough. The mule resists. But what's the horse's problem? It's impulsive. It wants to rush ahead. It wants to push ahead. And they both have the same problem. They find it difficult to wait on God. They want things either late or early. God is not early or late. He is perfect. He's not too hot. He's not too cold. He's just right. You can trust God's orchestration of everything Perfectly timed for your good. Patience. 
It's related to endurance. When you wait, it's run with endurance. The race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The writer of Hebrews says, you should show the same diligence to receive the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but you will be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I'm sure there's plenty of times that you have waited for someone and they never showed up, or waited for something and it was you know, disappointing. You went to a concert and it was not good. You, you look forward to this great meal and it, wasn't, it was a bad meal, didn't meet your expectations. But think about how like us. We want things now. We want them like we want them. We have no stamina to wait. And Jesus says, wait. And wait amidst your unfulfilled longing for the, for the hope of promise fulfilled. Mary and Joseph were patiently waiting for God to act. And, and I, I presume that this is what they would have been doing. They would have been doing whatever they did on a daily basis for the glory of God. And, and, and they would glorify God and do good to others often. Um, they patiently waited for God to act. And, and, and then this is like for you and me, we should engage in a ministry as you're waiting. A ministry of doing intentional good. Like, like seek the glory of God and the, and the good of others in, no, no matter what you do. Even as you're waiting for the promises of God that haven't been fulfilled yet. It's, it's patience. is waiting for something and you endure without giving up. Like labor pains as a baby's being born. Patience demands endurance, and, but it also has no timeline. In fact, if you are patient, you are not demanding God to give a timeline. Now think about the season we're in right now. It's known as Advent. It's from Latin, a coming to. It's, it's celebrating Christ coming to earth. But here's how we do it. Four weeks, then Christmas. Like boom, 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 Christmas. It's like check, 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 Christmas. If you do the little Advent candle thing, it's like candle, 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 and they all get, one gets shorter, and, and, and then Christmas. And then put away the tree and take down the lights and take your trash out because you got all this wrapping. That is not what Mary and Joseph were dealing with. So we, <laughs> we set it up like clockwork, like plug and play. Four weeks till Christmas. Four weeks. That's not how the Christian life goes. The Christian life is not the Christian calendar. And, and here's what Joseph and Mary dealt with. They dealt with a broadly specific scriptural promises. No, no exact timeline. They didn't know what day or hour Jesus would arrive. We don't know what day or hour Jesus will return. And here we are living with deadlines always looming and being very impatient about it. Cyril Parkinson, 20th century British scholar, said, work expands so as to fulfill the time available for completion. I told a college student this week, I said, oh, you got a paper due? You haven't started it yet? How many days do you have? Okay, however many hours you give to it will be how long it takes to get it done. You might not get a very good grade because you waited so long, but this is the truth. But scripture works differently. It tells you, be ready. It tells you, wait with any moment readiness. This is like that, that cautionary tale, the, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins that Jesus told to prepare his listeners to, to be ready for the coming of his kingdom. 
And what you have as a believer is assurance of fulfillment. You do not have assurance of timing. This is going to happen here and there. And we like to plan our lives out, you know, to the nth degree. But God's glory reflected in the alien righteousness that gets imputed into the, the soul of God's elect. You know what it does? It keeps frustrating the ingrained, uh, depraved patterns that causes you to want everything right when you want it. And that patience, when you, when you yield to God, patience becomes a notable virtue. And you don't even realize that it happened. And what it does is it replaces an insistence on your schedule and your agenda for everything to happen when you want. And Joseph and Mary acted for God's glory and others' good, and they did so by waiting for God to act. The son was promised to be the great savior, was the great savior, is the great savior, but as it was playing out, how many times do you think they had to weather a painful providence? It's really the second observation about them, patiently weathering painful providences. The, the being pregnant prior to marriage, the being thought immoral, the protecting Jesus from Herod, and Mary seeing Jesus mocked, and Mary seeing Jesus murdered. And they weathered these painful providences. Providence is God holding everything together, governing and sustaining and orchestrating all things to their appointed end for his glory. And his plans are perfect. His plans are exhaustive. His plans are for his glory and your ultimate good. But they are secret. God's plans are secret. William Cowper wrote a hymn. And here's one of the lines, one of the stanzas. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. And behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. See, suffering produces patience in those yielded to God by grace through faith in Christ. Thomas Boston said, the great engine of providence makes men appear in their true colors. C.S. Lewis defined suffering as blockades on the road to hell. Andrew Fuller said, afflictions refine some and consume others. Because the test of your Christianity happens in a storm. When you are battered in winds of affliction. And you can know with assurance, God will not blow your house down. And he will make you stronger for it. And I want to repeat something I said a couple of weeks ago. In fact, the funny thing is, I said this first hour, and someone texted me. And I went and sat down over there, and I looked at my phone, and they said, hey, by the way... Uh, you said the exact same thing two weeks ago about the patience thing. I wrote back, I know. Preaching is a ministry of reminding. Thanks for listening well. It's very common, and I repeat, it's very common to say if you ask God for patience, he'll bring trials to teach you patience. So be careful what you ask for. I say that's rubbish. The truth is this. God is at work to make Christians patient. You don't have to ask for it. You can if you'd like. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit, and trials will come whether you ask for them or not. And your patience in painful providence 
Well, be the place where God will give you the strength you need. God will provide for you. God will, will prepare you for glory. You're the, the painful providence prepares you for glory. In Psalm 73, 24, it says, You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. You know that phrase, guide me with your counsel? That's your whole life in five words. You will guide me with your counsel. There's your whole life. And afterward, you will bring me to glory, receive me to glory. And along that way, there are going to be some particular points that are very painful. And doctor inflicts pain to heal. 2004, November, November 7th. How do I know? It's my mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary. Wake up in the middle of the night. Horrible pains in my abdomen and chest, and I drive myself to the emergency room. They're full. They can't, they can't, there's no room at that inn. And I drive myself to another emergency room because my family doesn't care about me. Didn't wake him up. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm a giver, not a taker. Didn't wake him up. And I go to the doctor. Turns out, appendicitis. The doctor had the nerve to make me wait all night long to the next day for a surgery. And the doctor had the nerve to cut me open. I'm going right here because that's where the scar is. I have a scar. He took out that organ and he left a scar. The nerve. He saved my life. I want you to know today that God did not short you or shortchange you. You're not missing anything in your life right this moment. You, and you think, oh no, but God has, has incurred such pain on me. Well, only a fool, only a fool hates the cure more than the disease. Many times we're fools, are we not? God didn't short you, he didn't shortchange you. He didn't, you're not missing anything in this moment in your life that you truly need right this moment you're like oh no i didn't have this or that or the other don't have rent don't have this don't have that you're waiting for what's next and the great physician is working to eliminate poisonous corruption in your soul and you need to patiently endure what he allows patience is holding up under trial it's meant to strengthen your soul. Andrew Murray wrote a book in 1895. It's called Waiting on God. I have a copy. He said, The regenerate man has no power of goodness in himself. He has and can have nothing he does not each moment receive. And waiting on God is just as indispensable, must be just as continuous and unbroken as the breathing that maintains his natural life. It's only because Christians do not know their relation to God of absolute poverty and helplessness that they have no sense of the need of absolute and unceasing dependence. And then he says this, once a believer begins to see it and consent to it, that he, by the Holy Spirit, must each moment receive what God each moment works, waiting on God becomes his greatest hope and joy. Let me tell you about those painful providences. God has a purpose behind the painful providence in your life. And he will carry your burden. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Leave the mystery to him. Don't demand immediate answers. Let him carry the burden. 
And God draws near to the humble. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And God will answer big with mercy. He always answers big with mercy. God is merciful. James 5.11 says this, You've heard of the patience of Job. You've seen the plan intended by the Lord, that he is very compassionate and merciful. And he is so merciful that he is bringing some painful providences into our lives to build us into the people he intends. When I was coaching sports with my kids, uh, we would have a blowout loss or we would have a bad season. I would always declare it character building. It's just the right thing to do. It wasn't the coach's fault. It wasn't because of bad coaching. It's just what happens, and it's character building. Well, much of your life is character building. The English word for character comes from a Greek word, which means an engraving tool or a die for stamping into an image. And the trials of your life are God's tools to conform you to the image of Christ, to engrave the image of his son on your heart. And the experiences are not going to be pleasant, but they will be profitable. Like maybe you want to be in the showroom, but right now you're in the workshop. Right now you're in the workshop. One day you'll be in the showroom in the glory of God displaying the finished product, and you'll be like Christ. But right now you're in the workshop. And it's painful. Robert Murray McShane put it this way, soon you will find that everything in your history, except your sin, has been for you. Every wave of trouble has been wafting you, literally leading you to the sunny shores of a sinless eternity. Every painful providence in your life. And Joseph and Mary here, they're, they're waiting for God to act. They're, they're weathering the painful providences. And then, you know, the coup de grace, they were patient with people. It's where the, the rubber is going to meet the road in your life. Joseph and Mary were patient with people. And, and how... Capable are we of being so unkind? It's like that store I went to this week, and the people are more short-tempered in this season, and I could see the pain on the lady's face as she was telling me. Here's Jesus and Joseph and Mary being the recipients of huge injustice, of hate, of harm. In fact, go in your Bible to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, this is right after Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. The truth will set you free. You know, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And, and pick it up with me at, at verse 39. John 8, 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, by faith, you would be doing what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Believe God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Believe in the promise, Redeemer. He says, verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, and this is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. And he's pointing to them and saying, you're of your father the devil. By the way, if you're not a Christian, you're, you're held captive by Satan to do his will. And as uncomfortable as that, as that is, you're here now where, where you can hear that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the perfect Savior, took your sin and shed his blood on the cross to pay the penalty your sin deserved. 
And he was buried and rose from the dead on the third day. And he's coming back. And he's coming back with vengeance for those who have refused him and blessing for those who believe. Well, here is Jesus who says, you are doing what your father did. And they say to him, come back of all comebacks. Clap back. Here it is. Ready? We were not born of sexual immorality. They're inferring that Jesus was an illegitimate child. Hebrew word is momzer. The Hebrew Bible, the Jewish religious law, a momzer, literally an estranged person. A person who was born as a result of a certain forbidden relationships as defined by the Bible. And they're pointing at Jesus. And they're saying, you are not valid. We're not listening to you. And you might have all sorts of reasons why you, you could say that today. Like, well, I don't want to believe the Bible. I, I, I know better. You're taking a big chance with your soul. Pointing at Jesus, but they're also, they were also pointing back at Mary and Joseph and thinking them sinful and thinking them out of bounds and thinking that they had disobeyed God and had been immoral. And here is Joseph and Mary knowing the exact truth about themselves. Yes, they knew they were sinful. Yes, they knew they were imperfect. Yes, they knew they needed the only Savior that was, that was in their house. But they also knew they did not bring him into the world by sinning. That Jesus was of the Holy Spirit. And they were complying with a, with a plan hatched before the foundation of the world, before time began. And what were they guilty of? What were they guilty of? Patient obedience. They were guilty of patient obedience. They were resting under the unexplained. Maybe you're resting today under the unexplained. Maybe you're having to wait for God to bring the truth to light in his time. Maybe you're misunderstood. Maybe you're judged wrongly. And you're called to, be, to bear one with one another in love. Joseph and Mary, patiently leaning on each other. Patient with people. Saying, well, what's the big deal? Well, not just your reputation, but Christ's reputation if you call yourself a Christian. You need to be patient with people. Two groups in particular, those closest to you and those you know, total strangers you think you'll never see again because God has a way of bringing them back in your life. And, and the people that, you, you, that are closest to you, you go, oh, well, they have to accept me, so I'm not going to be as patient with them. They need to see your patience. And the total stranger you think you won't see again and that you need to have forbearance toward other people. This is what Christians are repeatedly being told, put up with each other in love, endure with, bear with, same word as enduring persecution. You have an attitude of love that endures the faults of others and doesn't point them out, and those aggravating personality quirks of others. You think of, Pe- you think of Peter uh, feeling like a total failure after he, he just denies Christ three times, and here is, is Jesus being so merciful to him, and there's no wonder that Peter accentuates the mercy of Christ. Patience is related to mercy. Even Paul said this, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost, former blasphemer and persecutor, insolent opponent. And he said, I receive mercy. Mercy alleviates the, the, uh, the misery that sin brings. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The patience, isn't it interesting? Patience is a virtue that we admire from a distance in someone else. 
But the closer it gets to us, the closer it inches to us, the more it invades your schedule and your plans and your agenda and your comfort. And you experience more discomfort, so you push it away. And God is providing these circumstances that call for patience. And he doesn't choose wrongly. But this impatience that we push, it grows in this unwillingness to trust God and his timing for your life. The impatience is a battle for control. It's a battle of the will. But patience grows in a different soil, that deep abiding trust of God. It's, it's inconvenient to be patient. It's, it's difficult to be patient. It's, it's humanly impossible to be patient. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Did you catch that? All. Some kind of tenacious help where you even hold on to the weak, even after months and years of inconvenience and sacrifice that you pour out for someone else. And you ask, where does that kind of patience come from? Well, while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose us. But even if you have to rebuke someone, it should be with a humble awareness of your own sinfulness. And where would you be without the mercy of God? Where would you be without the grace of God? How wicked would you be without God's grace? There is a temptation in our hearts to be impatient with them all. But if you have impatient with fellow sinners, it betrays a small view of the mercy of God. And maybe, maybe God wanted to remind you today about how much mercy he has had on your soul. And maybe God is calling you today again. Maybe he's done it over and over again to be patient toward someone in your life we're instructed to be patient toward them all. It will take everything you've got. You don't have the strength to do it. Um, you can't be patient without Christ's help. When you say, I'm not going to demand my way. I will stand up for truth. I will call others to do what is right. But I'm going to leave it in God's hand and wait for him to act in his time. I'm not going to be like Jonah, you know, who's impatiently demanding for God to smite them. No, why don't you be praying for God to help them, praying for God to have mercy on them, praying for God to restore them, praying for God to save them. Just remember the mercy that Christ has on you, what he has shown you. It's interesting. God only asks those who have received the infinite riches of his mercy to be patient. The ones who have received Christ's mercy are called to be patient. It points you to endurance. It points you to joy. This painful providence of patience serves a, a hidden but beautiful purpose. It highlights the, the beauty of Christ, the power of his love. As Romans 5 says, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul 
prayed for the Colossians that they would obtain all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And Peter put it this way, what credit is it when you sin and are harshly treated that you endure it with patience, but when you do what is right and suffer for it and you patiently endure, that finds favor with God. The strength you need is not found in the hurried pace of your life, but in, in your waiting patience. It's like patience is to your soul what nutrients are to food in the body. And nutrients are in every kind of good-for-you food that you eat. So is patience in every kind of virtue. You have to hope with patience. You have to pray with patience. You have to love with patience. Like whatever good thing you do, let it be done with just the nutrient-rich patience of God. Patience in every season, in plenty and in want, in hard transitions, in uncertainty, or even by the hospital bed of a loved, of a loved one who's suffering dearly. Patience points you to Christ. It keeps pointing you to Christ. God's patience that was waiting in the days of Noah. Jesus, who is patient toward the elect and regard, we are to regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Because always and in every time, God has always been angling for the redemption of those he chose to save. Ever since the time he promised the Redeemer. In the Father's Father's patience, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn pretty much for every season of the year. For Easter, he wrote, Christ the Lord is risen today. For Christmas, he wrote, Hark, the herald angels sing. On redemption, he wrote, And can it be? The Advent song is a song of patient waiting. Come thou long-expected Jesus. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set your people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. There's Israel longing for the promised Messiah. Here we are waiting Christ's return, but... Today, tomorrow, the next day, whenever it happens, probably today, when you find your impatience amplified, just remember this. True rest is found in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can free you and bring you true rest. Mercy, his mercy is forever. Patience is for today. So hurry up and wait. Proclaim him. Proclaim him as your unquestioned Lord. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are good and great, Lord, that we could even patiently wait for you to act upon your promises, even as you intentionally act for our good and your glory every moment, even such that we could weather the, fa- the painful providence in our life and work with people that you put in our path. May we walk worthy with patience as we await Christ's return. We pray in his name. Amen. Will you stand again and we're going to close singing one final song together? Oh, in this life of trials, test my faith. I set my hope on Jesus. When the 
the questions come in doubts remain I set my hope on Jesus For the deepest wounds that time won't There's a joy that runs still deeper There's a truth that's more than all I feel I set my hope on Jesus I set my hope on Jesus My rock, my only trust Who set his heart upon me first I set my hope on Jesus Though I falter in this war I set my hope on Jesus When I fail the fight and sink within I set my hope on Jesus Though the shame will drown me in its sea announcements before we go. This afternoon is full with some great stuff. Christmas concert with Matt Papa, 2 p.m. at Kindred. Uh, local outreach family party starts at 3.30 p.m. Be praying for that. Uh, Christmas Eve, 4 p.m. 
Karis Women's Conference on January 26th and 27th. There's a handout and a lot of missions opportunities right now as well. I'm going to close with 1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. And as you have, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this moment in time that you've given us to pray, to sing praises, to hear the word. Send us now by your grace and for your glory to do your will, to do your work in your strength. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign and-